everyone. Welcome to the Shell Games Podcast for the week of July 10th. This is episode number 68. Shell Games is a lighthearted look at the games of today and the ones still on the shelf. I'm your host, John, and joining me this week is my, the, the one and only, the only man that, that I hold dear in my heart. <laughs> not, not even my family members <laughs> are as dear to me as my good friend, Chisulo. Yo, what's up? <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> great what, intro. Great intro. What's uh, what's been going on with you? What's what's new and exciting in your life? What's what's going on in the world of Chisulo? Uh, nothing too crazy, you know. Just trying to. I'm prepping a lot. Meal prepping, not like prepping for the apocalypse. To <laughs> get in that bunker in your backyard, ready? Yeah, yeah. Just meal prepping, trying to spend less time cooking because okay. that way, if I prep for the week then I'm less likely to buy food like outside of the house, which is right. a problem. For sure. For my budget. Because I'm always <laughs> budgeting. I'm like, oh, I'm only going to spend $100 this month on eating out. And then at the end of the month, I'm like, $350? i am like, what the f- Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was better at preparing my meals and, you know, uh, budgeting. I just- Yeah. <sighs> Sometimes when you're out, you're just like, I'm going to- I'm going to- fuck up this whole like Big Mac and fries. <laughs> yeah. And I don't care, you know, if I go over budget this month because of it. I hung out with some people earlier in the month and I just completely already blew through my eating out budget. So, I'm like, well, gotta get serious about this meal prepping because I'm already over budget for eating. It's only like the ninth month, yeah. the ninth day of the month. Um, I was about to start this sentence with like, you know what's hard about being an adult or like, but that's like the fucking most millennial shit I'm going to say like the whole episode. But like, um, when you when, like when you get to like your mid to late twenties, early thirties, like when you go and meet your friends, what do you do? You either get food or you get drinks. Yeah, like you don't do fucking anything else. Like, sure, you might go for a rarely. walk or a hike or something sometimes, but like mm-hmm. very rarely are you doing something that doesn't cost you money and doesn't involve food and drinks. Very true. Very true. I went out yesterday. Luckily, it was uh, someone's backyard and it was just a bonfire. And- mm-hmm. They were like, do you want a beer? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I didn't bring any alcohol. I always feel bad when I you drink other people's alcohol and don't bring any. Yeah, for sure. But my budget loved not spending money. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it's all about. Dollars and yeah. cents. Dollars and yep. cents. And usually, that's what we like to discuss here is the business of video games and the video game mm-hmm. industry. Because, um, you know, we love games, but we also like to talk about money. Um, and what is making money? Netflix. And Netflix uh, recently released their uh, Castlevania animated series. So, Castlevania, obviously, based on the video game franchise. Um, I've heard, like, okay things about that series. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Um, I think it's, like, pretty short. Like, it'll take you maybe two hours to watch the entirety of it. Um, Oh, that's very short. But uh, Adi Shankar, who was the producer on that series, uh, basically announced his next project. And that is an anime adaptation of Assassin's Creed. Uh, which is obviously the massively popular and successful franchise from Ubisoft. Mm -hmm. Um, So in a Facebook post, uh, Shankar wrote, quote, I'm happy to let you guys know that I've selected my next project. I played the first edition of Assassin's Creed the year I moved to Los Angeles to pursue my dream. At that moment, I knew absolutely no one in the industry and could never have imagined that one day Ubisoft would ask me to take the world of Assassin's Creed and create an original story set in it as an anime series. If anyone tells you not to follow your passions and like blah, 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 end quote. Um, so, <laughs> what do you think about uh, Ubisoft uh, basically approaching Shankar and Netflix and being like, hey, we're, we want you to do an Assassin's Creed series? Uh, well, if they let him create the story himself and not try and, you know, hang the, the story of the games on him. Yeah. Because, I mean, the story in the games is not strong. 
No, but I, I feel like how do you tell an Assassin's Creed story without like the I mean, obviously you can have like the, the the key components of like Templars, Assassins, the Animus, like you mentioned, but then like how do you tiptoe around like all that fucking Apple of Eden and like the aliens and shit? Like yeah. Assassin's Creed gets weird, man. By the time you get to the second uh, game, yeah, it's uh. <laughs> I just really hope he, he gets to make a, an original story and he can ignore the video game story. Because, again, we said it, you said it, I said it. It's bad. It's a bad story. <laughs> Assassin's Creed, the strengths of Assassin's Creed are not in its storytelling. No, not at all. Um, I, I will say, though, however, like, the thing that always drew me to that series and the thing that I think it does best and 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 I what I think their teams are probably most passionate about are recreating historical set pieces and historic and cities from around oh, the yeah. world at a certain period of time and sort of capturing their interpretation of, of, of that piece of history. They do a great job with the setting, uh, buildings and all the like that. I do love about it. It's a beautiful game to look at. Mm -hmm. Um, story's bad. <laughs> it's pretty terrible. <laughs> story's so bad. It's so bad. I just keep repeating myself because it's that bad. Yeah. They keep repeating themselves game after game after game. Every time the game comes out, people say, oh, the modern day portion of the Assassin's Creed sucks. And they keep putting it back in. Yeah. And I feel like they make it longer. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, yes, it wasn't good last time, but this time we'll put in double the effort. I'm like, God, just stop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so it does sound like that Shankar is going to be able to do sort of an original story, but again, um, so, so we will see what limits are imposed on him, like whether he has to tie in modern day stuff or, cause I think again, like, you know, when you're telling a story just about Ezio, this is the dude in sort of, um, Italy during the Renaissance, like that's a, that's a pretty strong story that you can do. But yeah. the second you're like, I'm not talking to you, Ezio, I'm talking to Desmond. And you're like, okay, alien lady, I don't, I don't need to know about this, but like, um, so ho hopefully he can do something like that. Take, take a character in a certain period of, of history and tell a, a fun story there without being like, oh, you're actually an employee at Abstergo playing through their memories. Mm -hmm. So pivoting to some news from uh, Monolith and Warner Brothers, uh, they obviously have their sequel to Shadow of uh, Mordor coming out this year, Shadow of War. Yeah. So in the uh, the Tolkien universe of Lord of the Rings. And, um, you know, I think we've talked about uh, Shadow of Mordor on the show a little bit. Uh, I think you and I both seem to enjoy it, uh, you know, with, with a few caveats. But recently, uh, Monolith announced that uh, they're going to have like a, like a transfer system between the two games. So if you still have your save files, um, you can transfer your nemesis and your closest ally from Shadow of Mordor to Shadow of War. Um, so they're calling this uh, this new feature the Nemesis Forge, uh, mm -hmm. which will let you import these characters. So the this tool is going to be available on Xbox One, PlayStation Four, and PC, um, and uh, will allow you to transfer your Nemesis and your closest ally on uh, on the release of uh, Shadow of War later this fall in October. So what do you think about this system? Because we were talking about uh, Shadow of Mordor uh, recently. We we're, were kind of flabbergasted at the fact that like it's been a few years since that game and no one has like either tried to or at least successfully copied their nemesis system which is probably the most interesting facet of that game where mm -hmm. enemies you encountered would remember you they would develop new personalities and relationships and they would sort of 
you know, either go up and down in the orc hierarchy based on your interactions with them. And like, yeah. you know, they would remember if they defeated you or if you defeated them earlier. So that's sort of like how you built up this, this nemesis or, or, or these allies. Um, so, so what do you think about that system and uh, Monolith and Warner Brothers basically saying like, hey, you can take those people from that game and bring them over to this new one? Uh, I, I did like the system. It was probably the selling point to place Shadow of Mordor yeah. is the nemesis system. And I do remember when I played it, having a specific orc who was giving me a hard time. Like, I cannot understand why he kept killing me because I'm really good at that game. It feels like. <laughs> and it'll be good to bring him over, even though I don't quite remember what his name is or what he looks like. But when I see his face, I know I'll have flashbacks to yeah. all the times he killed me. So yeah. I do like that. In terms of my strongest ally, I don't care so much because after a certain point, you just kind of like take control in the minds of any orc you come across. You don't really care who, mm-hmm. which one it is. I would be, it would be good to see the story, because, how do I put this? The story in the first game wasn't amazing in the sense that I didn't care too much about the story. I just cared about actually killing orcs and, yeah. you know, getting new movesets. So, I hope that this game, it looks like they're trying to make the orcs more interesting, even more interesting than they were before, giving them more personalities and different kind of traits. So, I look forward to that. Hopefully, the story isn't too disconnected from what you're doing yeah for sure um and i i I do like the fact that you can um pull over these these um these characters i wish more games would do that sort of like mass effect where it could draw your save files from previous games and, and and pull them across but but there's always the the issue of um generational gaps um and if you remember when this when shadow of mordor came out uh, the 360 and the PS3 still obviously had huge install bases and the game came yeah. out on those platforms. But if I'm not mistaken, it didn't have the Nemesis system. Really? I, I mean, I never played it. I do know they were different. I'm just not quite sure how they were different. Yeah. So, so, so I guess they don't have to worry about that, that cross-generational compatibility here. Um, so I, I think it's interesting. We'll, we'll see how well it works. Um, and, and I don't know, like... Uh, my thing with Shadow of Mortar is just like I just don't care about that world, and I don't care. No. En- I don't care enough to go and find my save and like pull pull across my nemesis. But I think for for people who are really into that series uh, and that world, it might be interesting. Yeah, no, I the set the like I think there's two um the two areas in Shadow of Mordor, the first game, and the coloring is kind of bland in one, and the other one's all green. But just, uh, it's not that distinct. There's no mm. distinct areas within those two places. It yeah. just kind of feels like one big room. Yeah, just like one big sort of room that's decorated the same throughout. Yeah. And also, I don't recall there being, other than uh, NPCs that you interact with directly, there's like no people in this game. Very few, yeah. So Five Nights at Freddy's is a very successful series from uh, Scott Cawthon. Um which was sort of like this, I don't want to say sleeper hit, but almost like this like cult hit of a series where yeah. it gained a lot of popularity with YouTubers and with Twitch streamers. Um, I think specifically with people that are younger than you or, or I. Yep. Um, and uh, Cawthon was like pumping out sequels to Five Nights at Freddy's pretty regularly. Like, like I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say like at least some of those sequels dropped within the same year. Um, if oh, not, yeah. if not like a year or two apart. Um, so he was and his team were working on the sixth iteration of Five Nights at Freddy's. Already, yeah. Jesus. 
And that's ridiculous. Um, it sounds like he has stopped working on the game um, and is working on something new um, because, or yeah, it sounds like he, he's basically stopped working on that game. Um, uh, sorry to interrupt. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy 1 and 2 came out in 2014. Yeah. 3 and 4 came out in 2015. Jesus. And then 5 came out in 2016. Yeah. So, so um, 5 in 3 years. Um, so, so he, he posted, um, on Steam earlier that he doesn't want to work on the series anymore. Um, and Good. there are some people who are thinking that he might be trolling or, or, or that he might be sort of playing with his fans because he's kind of done that in the past, uh, where he'll say one thing and then ends up doing another sort of keep the, mm-hmm. his community guessing. Uh, but it sounds like he might be a little bit more, um, certain this time he he says here quote for the last month or so i've been dropping hints about a new game and it's true i've been working on one um call it five nights at Freddy's six if you'd like but after forcing myself to keep working on it day after day i realized something i just don't want to work on this with each game's release i think the expectations get higher and higher for the next and rightfully so each game should be better than the last but that pressure starts to mount and i fear that i've been neglecting other things in my life for the sake of trying to keep up with those mounting expectations so after giving this a lot of thought, I've decided that I'm going to stop working on it. I'm not going to reveal anything else about what the game was. And I've asked other people involved to never di- divulge anything either. It's just not going to be talked about. I mean, it sounds like someone who's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of done working on this series. I need to do other things with my life. But again, he has done a lot of practical joke type things in the past. Yeah. Whether it's for publicity or, or for laughs or whatever. Um, so there is some speculation that this is just a bit of a hoax. I don't know. So, 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 what do you think uh, about that? What do you think about the success of Five Nights at Freddy's? Uh, a dev sort of who has been notorious for for pulling one over on their fans and them saying like, "Well, I'm not going to work on this anymore." Uh, I've also heard, but this is not confirmed, that he actually paid like quite a bit of money to the to the people that were working on this and like had them sign NDA so that they wouldn't talk about what this game was. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like it might be dead, but I don't know. What, what do you think about the, all this? I mean, personally, for me, I never, I saw uh, gameplay footage of the game. It's not a game I would play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm okay with it not being resold a sixth time in three years, because, I mean, that's Assassin's Creed territory, <laughs> Call of Duty stuff. Yeah. And this is, yeah, I'm impressed that uh, one person, I don't know how many people worked on this game, but as far as I can tell, it's, it started off with just him. Mm-hmm. So, props to him. Get that bag. Get that money. If you're tired of doing it, you've been doing this for the last three years take a break, step away. If you come back, I won't judge him. If he comes back, I won't judge him. But if he stays away forever, that's fine too. Yeah. And, and do I think, something else if he wants. And I think like, like he, he, he's right about the fact that like any series that gains popularity, there are going to be massive expectations for it. And, and, yeah. and, and you know, that type of weight on, on a creator can, can be, um, you know, just, just tremendous to, to try and, deliver on something that fulfills uh everyone's expectations and sort of meets the promises that you set out so so i can understand that 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 is like an almost impossible standard to reach and attain um Mm -hmm. and yeah just from everything that i've seen and heard that that community is pretty rabid for for that series um but yeah man that's way too many games in like what did you say like three years yeah Five games in three years. Um, so, so obviously you saw some slowdown. He only released the one last year and hasn't released anything since. But still, Jesus, it's way too much. <laughs> it is. And he, I mean, a lot of it to me felt like DLC that yeah. is being released as a full game. Mm-hmm. So let's get political here for a second. 
Cool, cool. We're going to talk about Brexit um, and its effect on uh, the game industry, specifically its effect on League of Legends. Uh, so League of Legends has a in-game currency called Riot Points. Uh, so you spend real money on Riot Points and then you use those to purchase and unlock characters. You can get skins um, and other things uh, of that sort in, in the game. Um, and there's been a little bit of uproar because League of Legends and Riot have had to change their pricing for Riot Points in the UK. Uh, and, and Riot points to uh, Brexit as a, as a direct, um, not influence, but, but a, a cause of, of why they've had to do so. Uh, so one of the publishers at, at Riot's uh, Dumbl- Dublin office uh, made a post um, on the League of Legends forums and said, quote, last June, the UK voted to leave the European Union, triggering a drop in the value of the pound relative to other global currencies, particularly the US dollar. This change meant that while UK players were spending the same number of pounds on Riot Points as before, players elsewhere in the world were paying a lot more in comparison. Um, So basically, you know, Brexit was announced, the vote sort of passed, and uh, the pound dropped Mm -hmm. as a result. So Riot has had to adjust their prices to to ensure parity between, you know, North American, Asian uh, players around the rest of the world. Um, and those in Britain make sure that they're paying sort of the same amount for riot points. Um, so he kind of goes on to say, quote, the value of currencies goes up and down. So we wanted to leave it for a while to make sure the change was sticking. At this point, it's been more than a year and recent fluctuations have been fairly minimal. So we think the time is right to make a change. Um, so, so this isn't necessarily uncommon, like, like developers every now and then have to tweak in-game item costs. Uh, you know, and, and the currencies that they use in those games, depending on what real world markets are doing. Like Hearthstone had to do this recently um, for certain parts of the world with, the, with their in-game card packs. Um, so what do you think about League having to do this in uh, the UK? And more specifically, like, I, I, I think when Brexit was happening, that, you know, we were talking about some of the concerns that developers had mm-hmm. on what that would mean for developers in the UK. And now this seems to be having like, not just impact on devs in the UK, but like real world impacts on players uh, in the UK as well. So what do you think about this? Uh, It was bound to happen. Just think things really stay static as a Canadian. uh, Over the last five years, I've seen the dollar, the Canadian dollar be almost on par with the US dollar and then drop like 20 cents. Mm-hmm. And so I see things like, oh, an Xbox is five hundred dollars. I don't know if that's the correct price, but let's say an Xbox is five hundred dollars. Like three years ago, is now costing me like six, seven hundred dollars. And it's just as a Canadian, I'm used to this yeah. when, the, when the currencies fluctuate, as do the prices that I have to pay. So I'm not shocked, and I guess my sympathy is a little low because our dollar has dropped. <laughs> so I'm like, whatever. Welcome to the club. Yeah, that's how it is. Yeah, I, I know you and I complain about uh, Canadian pricing on on platforms like Steam and other digital yeah. marketplaces all the time because holy, holy, yeah, hell, sixty dollars games in the states, sixty USD in the states is eighty Canadian dollars, and it's, but I'm not getting paid, you know, twenty dollars more. That's wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're you're not getting paid significantly more to sort of make up for that price no, differential, right? I'm not. So for me, it's just an increase in cost because of the value of the dollar. So. Uh, a lot of things affect that. Price of oil 
Mm-hmm. And Brexit, I guess, for them is affecting their pounds and the euro or whatever. So I get, it's just, it's, it doesn't seem unusual to me. Like, this is how the world works. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, business is business. And, uh, you know, the, the machinations of, of, of <laughs> business will, will keep trucking along. Um, so what game was it that we were complaining about the other day? It was like $90 or like $99 on Steam or something when it was announced. And we were like, whoa, what the fuck? I can't remember. I, va- I remember saying that, but I don't remember what game it was. What game was that? I don't know. I don't know. Was, uh, I, 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 I can't even remember if it was like a special edition of something or not. It could have been. Those Don't get me started on special editions. Yeah. Well, the Assassin's not- Creed special edition uh, price tier is just insane. <laughs> they have like eight versions of the game that's not coming out for like another year. Yeah, but you can get How? some. Why? You can get some fun plastic shit with that game as well. <laughs> yeah, plastic figurines, fake uh, plastic hidden blades. <laughs> Speaking of Steam, uh, it sounds like Steam is finally going to be getting an overhaul sometime soon, or at least Valve seems to be um, thinking about it and hoping to implement something soon. Uh, so Alden Crawl, who's uh, Valve's uh, product designer or one of Valve's product designers, was, was giving a presentation, and his slides from that presentation ended up on on a forum called uh, Valve Time, um, and they were talking about um, a overall UI refresh and update coming to Steam. Uh, so th- there hasn't been a date uh, sort of set for this or, or when the changes might be implemented, um, but it sounds like they're finally going to be. Um, changing things up with their platform. Uh, so it looks like a UI refresh and update. Um, and for developers, it sounds like a lot of those, those big changes are going to be sort of in the library where players can quickly launch right back into their most recent games. Um, they can discover games in the library that have had recent events, updates, or friend activity. Um, you know, the, the game launch page will have sort of better display of content, uh, screenshots, artwork, uh, achievements, badges, friend activity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so this kind of coincides with some, uh, screenshots that leaked, uh, I want to say earlier this year in like February, Mm -hmm. um, that, that showed maybe some mock-ups of what those redesigns might look at, look like. Um, what do you think about that? Like, what what do you, do you think like Steam is in sort of desperate need for like a a refresh of, of their clients? Uh, I don't know about desperate need, but I do enjoy updates from time to time, assuming they improve the flow of. Yeah. Going through Steam. It's not bad. Steam's not bad right now. I mean, it's not like I go to Steam to hang out. I'm <laughs> going there to launch games that I want to play. Yeah. And I prefer Steam to any other uh, video game client that exists out there. More than GOG, more than the Windows Store, more than Blizzards, whatever it's called. Yeah. And a lot of times I just link my games into Steam. So mm-hmm. if they improve it, great, but it's not a big deal to me. Yeah. I, I find navigating Steam a little bit... Uh frustrating like i feel like it's sometimes busy and it's not necessarily showing me the things that i want to see um yeah. So, so yeah i agree it'd be nice to see sort of a, a ui overall overhaul um i don't know there if are it, a lot of features in steam that i just do not use yeah for sure um but, but at the same time i, I think they, they can make sort of quality of life for players and users a little bit better as well yeah um so you mentioned blizzard and of course one of blizzard's biggest games right now is overwatch it's one of the fastest growing uh, you know, shooters ever. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's absolutely staggering how quickly that's that community is growing, how, how many copies they're still selling, and how, how uh, quickly it is sort of transitioned into an esport. And uh, Overwatch has uh, announced their, their newest hero, 
Um, so this is a villain named Doomfist who has been sort of uh, teased for quite some time. I think in even the the initial um, sort of Pixar esque uh, movie sort of cutscene thing that they launched, uh, there's like a kid at a museum and and they have the Doomfist in like a display case. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- this year has been teased for quite some time. He's sort of a part of the the lore of that world. Um, so he's sort of like this cybernetic offense character with this massive like robot arm. Uh, so somewhat melee, uh, kind of like a, a get into the fight, do a lot of damage and, um, you know, scare those, those squishier heroes. Um, so I I don't know if we really want to talk too much about that, but, but it's always interesting to me whenever Blizzard launches a new hero, because the, the fan base in the community around it are so, um, passionate about the characters. I was going to say rabid, but yes, passionate's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, about the characters and not only that, but like the the wide range of characters and like how diverse they are and how sort of representative they are of the world as it exists today. You know, you have mm-hmm. um, characters of you know, a, a multitude of ethnicities, uh, different skin colors, um, different body sizes and shapes, um, mm-hmm. even sexual orientation. Um, there's a lot of fan headcanon sort of like, um, uh, what do you call that? Why can't I think of the, the, the word right now where you like romantically pair two characters? Shipping. Shipping. Thank you. Um, and, uh, so, so yeah, so, so the fans have, have, have a lot of passion and like you said, they're very rabid about the, the, this world and these characters. So what do you think about Doomfist? Um, so this, uh, appears to be um a character of african origins like his accent sounds like it's pretty on point too um so their their in or their quote real name is akande ogundimu uh i bet i nailed that pronunciation <laughs> that's <was> flawless <laughs> uh so anyways uh did you get a chance to look at doomfist i know you don't really play a lot of overwatch but what do you think i've seen some like screenshots and stuff and i did see the I didn't watch all. I didn't watch it, but I did see some clips of. Um, they they had like a short introductory anime for for him as well, right? Which wasn't Pixar animated style. It was kind of like drawn, hand drawn, yeah. animated, which I thought was kind of interesting because I've seen so much of it being like we call it Pixar style, but it's not. It's what three D animated, I guess. I, I guess say. so. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Um, I didn't know he was African. That's also cool. That's exciting because mm. there are not a lot of African characters in video games, yeah, at least not sure. that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so, so I think a lot of people are really excited for for Doomfist. Uh, I've been getting more and more into Overwatch uh, recently, so be he he's on the the test server right now, but uh, it, he still hasn't rolled out to the the rest of us. Um, mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to check that game or that character out when when he finally gets to the game. Yeah, yeah it'll be interesting. Um, probably still won't play. <laughs> you should play Overwatch. Uh, I've, I've, like oh, I said, so I, many people love it. I've, I've been getting more into it. I still have qualms with it, uh, yeah. but I, I think if you played with myself and some some of our friends, uh, it might be a little bit more enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's just certain kind of games that just take so much effort for me to get into. Yeah. If I even ever get into them, just, just I don't know. I, I don't know why not. I think having friends and like just being on voice chat with them is really helpful. So next time I'm playing, I'll I'll, I'll ping you and and we can jump into a game or something. Yeah, cool. How do I transition to this? Uh, speaking of transitions. Speaking of transitions. Uh, next topic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Tencent. We've spoken about Tencent before. They are a massive. Uh, what would you call them? A conglomerate. 
Yeah. They have their... With a very, very, like, quiet name. Yeah. They, they Tencent have, just sounds like, like oh, like the dollar store, but cheaper. Tencent. <laughs> Except that they are like a billion-dollar corporation that yeah. has their tendrils in, like, all <laughs> kinds of things. Of like, investment and, like, uh, games and technology and software. And they're doing a lot of... They, they own... Do you remember what that figure was? Was it, like, 10% of, like, gaming worldwide or something like that? The gaming industry? Was it 10% or was it a little bit Ooh. less? Uh, I don't remember. I don't want to lie, but in my mind, it was more. Okay. So, uh, it, this was probably a few episodes back. So, if you can go back and, and, and find that one where we talk about Tencent, uh, mm-hmm. you can correct us. Uh, I just don't want to spend 10 minutes Googling it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, Tencent is, in fact... um. Or rather, Tencent is a, a Chinese organization. It's a Chinese company, um, but it is going to be limiting the amount of time that miners in China uh, can play one of their mobile game, one of their mobile games, and that game is Honor of Kings, which is wildly successful, especially in China. Uh, so Reuters reported that uh, the, the uh, that Tencent uh, will begin limiting play time for users below the age of eighteen. Um, and players under the age of 12 will be limited to one hour of playing per day and will be blocked from accessing the game after 9 p.m. Uh, users, hmm. beto- users between 12 and 18 years, of, uh, years old will have a two-hour daily limit. Um, so it seems like there's been more concern and, and more complaints uh, for, uh, about children uh, becoming addicted to Honor of Kings, uh, which apparently has more than 200 million users, and it's like the top-grossing mobile uh, game right now. Uh, so I googled it. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, Tencent controls 13% of the gaming market. Okay, there you go. So, so even more yeah. than, than I originally assumed. Um, yeah. So, so what do you think about t- Tencent sort of taking this step to limit playtime uh, of miners? Um, and and again, I think there's always been this sort of. Um, concern about like uh oh think of the children they're spending all their time get it getting yeah. uh, sucked in by by these free-to-play games or or these mobile games tencent said uh in, in a post this week that quote there are no rules to, to prevent indulgence in mobile games in china but we decided to be the first to try to dispel parental worries by limiting playtime and forcing children to log off yeah i don't think it's their place no no it's it's a parenting choice not Ten cents decision to 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 determine how much video games any person should play. Some parents are going to want their will be okay with their kids playing more. Some parents will want their kids to play less. But it's not up to ten cent to say, oh, blah blah blah. We've decided that children under the age of blah 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 can only play so much. Because a lot of parents, you know what, they're busy and they're like, I need to plop my kid in front of this game because I got to get some stuff done because I just don't have someone to watch him or her while I'm doing these other things. So I feel like it's not their place. Anytime a new medium uh, sort of becomes popular, there's always like a moral panic uh, Mm -hmm. around what it's going to do, what it's going to do to the kids, how it's going to affect society and sort of the the current social order. Um, So, and again, you know, we had moral panics around music and comic books and and Dungeons and Dragons and video games. And, and, uh, you know, I, I would say in the last five to 10 years, there's been this moral panic around uh, mobile games and especially like free to play mobile games and like MMOs, like sucking people in and them spending their entire lives like and like all day, every day online. You know, you, I think you even mentioned last week those cases of people like dying at their PCs because yeah. they, they, they couldn't be, be pulled away from a game. Um, it's so, crazy. So, so I think like 
some parental concern is obviously valid over the the time that kids spend um on mobile games or or what have you and i think it's even more troubling now as i don't want to say it's harder for for like i'm not a parent but i don't want to say it's like harder for parents to patrol or monitor or police their kids and their mobile phone usage because you know oftentimes you want to give your kid a phone and be like oh you know if anything comes up if there's an issue or if there's problems i know you have a phone and i can call you Mm -hmm. um but obviously how do you make sure your kid isn't playing honor of kings uh when they're at school and when they're in bed and when they should be sleeping or when they should be doing homework um so you said you feel that that tencent has no place sort of stepping in and limiting uh their time um i mean is this based on research like what what are they just basing this on is it just because this to me sounds like moral panic yeah and also how are they gonna how are they make how are they how do i say this how are they determining the age of the people playing their games i'm not entirely sure i i imagine because they, they... i don't recall like if i'm playing a game i'm like i don't want them to know so much information about me i'm like why? Why should they know how old I am? I'm not entirely sure how the sure how that works. Maybe like when you register an account or something, you have to set your age. Yeah, uh, I don't, and, and again, so I don't, I'm a guest giving out more information about myself or my kids that I don't have. But again, we have to keep in mind that this is in a different ecosystem altogether. This is in China, where um, you know yeah. they have far uh, different rules in terms of online accounts and what you can and cannot access and what information you have to register and, and that kind of thing. Um, That's true. So, so I, I, I'm speaking from a place of ignorance. I literally have no clue how the mobile market works in, in China or how like online services work there. Um, I, yeah. I only have sort of the news I get, I get filtered through um, North America and our North American lens. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there's been a lot of criticism about mobile games and what they do to kids there. Uh, there was a, a news outlet, uh, a state-run news outlet called People's Daily, uh, which criticized the game. Uh, in an editorial after Tencent announced this, basically saying that the game promoted, quote, negative energy and could weaken, quote, traditional values. Um, so, so again, like, do you, do you feel that perhaps um, Tencent is being a little too reactionary? Like, do you think, like, they should have waited for the state to sort of step in and say, like, hey, you have to limit this? Mm, I don't know what their, I don't know what their reasoning is to be specific. I don't know what their reasoning is because, again, this sounds to me like it might cost them money. Oh, for sure. For sure. If you have kids that can only play one or two hours a day, instead of like pumping, pumping those dollars and cents into, uh, into your mobile app so yeah. that they can get more gems or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> yeah. So, it kind of, so I just don't know what their motivation for this is. Because mm-hmm. if it is just straight up like, oh, we think we're doing the right thing, I guess good for them. Even though, again, I think that this is a parental choice and shouldn't be up to them. But uh, what, what are they getting at? What's going on here? Do they know? They know something we don't. Yeah. If this is not about just being morally right. But, but again, mind. this isn't like new either because other countries have done this. Like South Korea uh, implemented something very similar to this in 2011. Um, basically, I say, wonder if they were sued. Could be. Could be. Um, yeah. So, so in South Korea in 2011, it basically said users under the age of 16 couldn't access certain popular games between midnight and 6am. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like perhaps th- this is, this is like a, a social thing in certain societies as well, where, where perhaps online gaming is more popular. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Cause you know, in, in South Korea f- f- to, 
to say the least, you know, they, they have their sort of PC cafe culture with the PC bongs. Yeah. Um, with the PC what? The PC bongs, B-A-N-G-S. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting that Tencent made this decision, but but again, to your point, I don't know if it, it doesn't make business sense, but I don't know if it's reactionary or, or um, whether they're just trying to sort of appease people before they get into trouble. Yeah, or that sounds to me, that's the thing that comes to mind the most is some sort of legal ramifications for if someone, I won't say gets injured, but you know, you know how it is. Yeah. When they overplay and then it's like, oh, my kid failed school, this is your fault. Or someone died because they wouldn't put the game down, which is so rare. That's such a rare case. It's not something that happens often because it's a hundred billion dollar industry. And I don't, I think I've only heard of like a handful of cases where people died because they couldn't stop playing. But I feel like uh, something else would have killed them because obviously they overindulge. Yeah, for sure. Is that insensitive? I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm like, they have weak minds. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, those cases obviously are tragic, but you're right. You know, they are a fraction of a fraction of the people who do engage in these types of uh, games and and experience these, these, you know, Right. So, to me, it feels like they're punishing everybody for the behaviors of the extreme few. Right. And so that's the part of me that makes that rubs me the wrong way. Yep. Yep. Um, so we're going to talk about Dota 2 for a little bit. I know not necessarily everyone who listens to the show likes to hear about Dota 2, but uh, it's my show, so I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but they actually announced something that's pretty significant. Um, and I do like to talk about esports on the show because I, I, I think what happens in those industries is really important for video games as a whole moving forward. Um, and companies like Valve are very much setting the standard for what esports is going to look like in 20, 30 years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, so Valve has been experimenting with how they structure their tournament systems for the longest time. Um, whereas, you know, a few years ago, they implemented the International, which is sort of their big tournament, you know, the big sort of multi-million dollar prize pool once a year. That was the Super Bowl. And then throughout the year, you would have second and third party tournaments um, held by by certain organizations, some larger than others. And uh, it, Valve was always very secretive about how it determines performance of players and teams throughout the year. And uh-huh. based on that, who got invited to the international and who would have to play through the qualifiers. Um so I want to say last year, or the year before, Valve implemented what they called uh, their their majors system, yeah. where instead of just the international, you would have two to three large major tournaments throughout the year as well, uh, which would be held by Valve uh, plus their partners, and those had like three million dollar prize pools, uh, whereas uh, the international had a crowd funded prize pool where like last year it got over twenty million dollars. Um, so th- there was a lot of controversy in the Dota community about that because what it basically did installing the major systems is big teams stopped caring about small tournaments. All, right. all they cared about were the majors and TI. That's all they cared about. So a lot of smaller tournaments uh, suffered and, and they really struggled to get big teams to come to them and, and as a result would lose interest the young because people don't want to watch tournaments that don't necessarily have big names at them uh whether Mm -hmm. it's recognizable players or recognizable teams um so there was a lot of concern about how this would affect uh tournaments uh smaller tournaments and just the 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 league as as a whole moving forward because like a a scene just 
or at least what, what a lot of people argued is that like a scene cannot be healthy when all you have are like, you know, three major tournaments or two major tournaments and like a Super Bowl every year. Because uh, yeah. could you imagine if like, um, I don't know, like the LA Lakers only went to like, you know, two big championships a year and um, what's the what's the big one? In the NBA, what's what's the big one called? <laughs> I mean, immediately two big championships. There's only one championship a year. Yeah, true, 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 true. But like, I get what you're saying. Like, if they only played like playoffs and no actual regular season games, mm-hmm. like, could you imagine like how the health of the NBA would suffer if something like that happened? Right? Yeah. Um, it would. It, you you want you need a regular season, which matters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because uh, just having the final match, or so to speak, the NBA championships, which would be uh, it'd be weird. I mean, football. I football. I won't say football does the same thing, but they play a lot fewer games in football, right? In the NFL, I don't know exactly how many. Something like I don't know, like sixteen. Mm-hmm. No, that's not wrong. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the NBA, where they're playing eighty-two games, and then they have best of seven series in the playoffs, and so mm-hmm. it's. It would be very different if we only did a handful of games a year. It wouldn't be as interesting. Yeah, to me, at least. yeah, for sure. And and I think like also uh, a concern at least in esports and, and Dota here specifically is that like, um, are you still smiling about the fact that I only knew there was like fuck it, I couldn't remember the name of the, whatever their championship is. Like, come on, it's man, the, it's just the NBA championship. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> What's the I just, name I of the just feel like they all have like a name. Like it's always like the Super Bowl and the Stanley Cup and. Just the NBA Finals, All NBA right. Championship. All right. Now I know. We don't have a special name. I don't know. I say we as if I'm in the NBA. I'm like, we don't have a special name for this. <laughs> um, so, so, another specific worry, uh, especially in Dota, is, is you know, we don't necessarily have we. So, now I'm using we as well. The Royal we. Um, mm-hmm. Don't necessarily have, like, farm teams, you know? Like, so, a lot of these up and, up and coming- farm or foreign? Sorry? Did you say farm or foreign teams? Farm. What does that mean? Like, like we don't have amateur teams. Like, like we Got do, it. but they have to go to these smaller tournaments, right? Mm-hmm. And they might not necessarily be able to go to these smaller tournaments if they stop holding them or, you know, if they can't draw audiences. And so, so it's like, where do these people cultivate their talent, work on, work on their own competitive game and yeah. sort of come up in the scene if you don't have these, these smaller uh, tournaments and leagues? Um, so anyways, that's sort of all of this big setup to say that Valve has decided to make a, uh, another big change. Uh, one that hopes to solve a lot of these issues and uh, sort of um, you know answer the, the worries uh, of the community. Uh, so they are going to be implementing a uh, system of what they call majors and minors, mm-hmm. um, and those will sort of be dictated by um, Valve and and sort of like what their prize pools are. So they're going to be taking a more hands on approach, which is a very unValve like thing to do. Um, so, a tournament that wishes to qualify um, has to uh, allow participants from the big regions around the world. So, North America, South America, Southeast Asia, China, Europe, and um, the CIS region uh, in Europe as well. Um, so, it also has to have a LAN to its finals. So, it can't be online only at tournament. Um, and for a major tournament, uh, the prize pool has to be half a million dollars. but Valve is going to put up the other half a million dollars. Oh, and uh, for a oh. mi- for a, for a minor tournament, 
you have to offer a prize pool of $150,000. And again, Valve will match that uh, with another $150,000. So essentially, we, we have two to three majors a year right now. They have $3 million yeah. prize pools. And again, just everyone focuses on that. That's just like, the prize pool is so fucking big that it's like, oh, that's all you care about. You don't care about these smaller tournaments. And there has been controversy in the past where teams are like, we're not going to this tournament, even though it's like a big name, but we're not going there because we're focused on the major. Um, and, and so now the majors are not going to have as big of a prize pool, you know, a million dollars, still respectable. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of these minor tournaments are, are going to have much healthier prize pools as a result of, of Valve sort of putting up that, that extra 150K. Um, also, uh, Valve says that they're going to co- coordinate the schedules of both the major and minor tournaments so that they don't coincide. So you don't have those issues of teams dropping out of one to take part in another. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and finally, the last point, which is uh, important to people who, who pay attention to Dota, but not really important to what we're talking about here, is, is they're going to keep track of what are called qualifying points. Um, so it will reward players uh, certain points based on the tournaments they take part in and sort of the, they do a whole bunch of math to, to say like, oh, you, you got X number of points throughout the year, throughout this, this major and minor season. And, you know, the, the teams with the most points are going to get the direct, direct invites to uh, the international. Yeah. Um, so all of this is going to be implemented after this TI, which happens in August. Um, so it looks like they are really, like I said, just sort of answering a lot of the concerns that the community and the players had. Um, and sort of going forward are, are really looking at the long-term health of, of the eSport around Dota 2. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Do, do you have any thoughts on that? I know I kind of was talking a lot there, but, but uh, I feel like it's an interesting change. Hey, it is interesting. I mean, I'm surprised uh, Valve is matching. I mean, how much money do they have? Oh, man, they've got all the money. Right? <laughs> like that's, that's the thing that surprised me. I'm like... How many turn? How many do they have a limit as to how many of these tournaments they will match? I'm not like entirely going to match ten a year or something. like I'm not that? entirely sure what what, uh, what they've said about that. Um, I'd have to look at their uh, their blog again. Yeah, I can't remember, but but it, it's. Um, I'm happy that they're you know trying to encourage growth in this esport. So good for them. Good on them. I don't know if other uh, video games like. League of Legends or uh, what's another one? I was going to say CSGO, but that's Valve as well. Mm-hmm. But League of Legends, for example, I don't know if they're doing anything like this to be ma- to match. Do they have a large tournament like TI well, for League uh, of Legends? Not necessarily. Like, League of Legends is, is far more uh, structured in that like Riot controls everything. Um, yeah. So when you're a League of Legends pro, you're, you're actually an employee of Riot. So they like control the league, they control the teams, everything. Well, I guess the NBA works that way. Yeah. Plus we're going to be like, nah, I don't like that. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little bit different, but it, it's also, um, you know, th- their seasons definitely have a little bit more structure, uh, as a result yeah. as well. They still have like their, their big, like regional championships and their, their big sort of, uh, finals. I can't remember the name for it, um, um, every year. Um, but of course the, uh, you know, League of Legends being the, like the most popular online game to date. Um, but still the prize pool is nothing compared to Dota 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? It doesn't look like they've uh, dictated how many majors and minor tournaments they're going to have throughout the year. Um, <laughs> That's good. Maybe we can run one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Can you and I put together one hundred fifty thousand dollars? 
I mean, we could kickstart it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so kind of pivoting off of this, uh, Chisula, I wanted to ask you, um, as this is somewhat related, um, and also I may or may not be working on something that uh, will answer this question, but uh, I know in the past you have said that Dota 2 is very hard, not just to get into, but it's like you find it very difficult to watch. Yep. And I want to know uh, from you, when, when you try and tune in, what is it specifically that makes it hard to watch? And like, what questions are you asking? And, and sort of what, what are, what are you trying to decipher? And like, what, what do you think would make it easier for you to understand what's happening on the screen? So I would say some of the things that I find hard to follow when I'm trying to watch Dota, which I haven't done that often, but it's just, when I don't know what I'm looking at on the screen because they switch between characters. And I don't know if I'm looking at Team A. I don't know if I'm looking at Team B. I don't know when these lights go off on the screen where it's like something falls from the sky. And people are like, oh, <laughs> what? what the fuck happened? <laughs> it's like, he just, ah! and people are screaming. And I'm like, I have no idea what I just saw. Yeah. So, that kind of stuff is kind of, there's so many items and I don't know what they're for or what they do. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, I kind of understand the lanes. I get the lanes now, the three lanes, middle and the two side ones, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. And there's, what, six players per team? Five. Six yeah. heroes? Five, yeah. Five? Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay, fine. Five heroes per team. And it's just, there's just so much going on the screen. And I just don't know, because I think people's, there's how many heroes in? Uh, you call them heroes? So there's over 110, 15? Oh, God. Yeah, so, so many heroes. And I think that people who play Dota, obviously, when they see a certain character, hero, whatever you want to call them, they know their moveset, they know which bolts of light are from that character, they know what those characters' uh, special abilities are, and so for them, it's like, they know exactly what's happening, but for me, I, you know, I see, because I haven't played a lot of Overwatch, whenever I see Overwatch clips, I feel kind of similar in that sense, where they're like, look how sick this is, and all I'm seeing is just like, things moving around and like skulls flashing on the screen because everyone's dying. I'm like, I don't know what they did right. that's so special that they felt like they got 10,000 upvotes on Reddit. I'm right, like, what? Right. what happened here? So, so I, I guess it's sort of... It's just ignorance, really. And, and it's kind of indecipherable. It's like a really indecipherable mess the first time you look at it. Um, I, I think yeah. you kind of equated it to like trying to watch a sport that you do, you've never played or don't understand. Yeah, don't know the rules. I don't... It's like... And then the commentators are speaking in a language I don't speak. Right. Right. I wonder if there is someone who watches Dota who doesn't play it and if they understand what's happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I'd be surprised and I'd love to know how they learned how to watch it. Yeah. I feel like every time the international comes around, it, it, it's like this curiosity, right? People hear about, right. Hear about, hear about the prize pool, uh, how like absolutely absurd it is. And I think that kind of draws people in. They have big Twitch streams, big YouTube streams. Uh, sometimes they even show it on you know, you know, ESPN3 or whatever. Um, and I think, you know, that more like morbid curiosity brings in a lot of people who who try and watch it. And, uh, Valve has done some stuff in the past to try and make that more more approachable. And we'll see if they do anything this summer, uh, to do something similar. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I definitely agree. It's, it's definitely tricky. Like that's kind of like what brought me to the game as well. I think it was like TI four that I tried to watch. And I was like, I have no fucking clue what's happening. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you you vocalize a lot of that kind of stuff because it's got the wheels in my head spinning about like how right. to perhaps approach that and maybe broach some of those questions. It's also I also find sorry um, I also find that 
I guess, spectator mode, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Because you, you can't see all five uh, characters on the team at once, yep. unless they're all in the same lane. Mm-hmm. And so that's cause jumping around. It's just like, uh, I don't know. I don't know who this is. Right. Especially if you don't know, like, know the map and like you said, the characters and like who's on whose yeah. team. And yeah. Yeah. Um, that's fair. I might try. You know what? I might try to see if I can understand. I'll watch a couple of videos to see if I can understand. Without playing it, because mm-hmm. I just I don't have the time to play it right now, especially this month. Oh, with for what's sure. going on with me at work? Yeah, for sure. So we'll see. We'll see. I'll try. Uh, well, I, I, like I said, I'm glad you, you were able to um, share some of those because, uh, like I said, I may or may not be working on something that uh, talks about that. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's move into the next part of the show that is off the shelf, where we talk about some of the stuff that we are playing. Uh, what have you been playing? Just more Witcher. Still playing the Witcher Blood and Wine DLC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any any new thoughts, or is it, or do you, are you still just kind of getting through it? Still getting through it. The Grandmaster armor and weapons so expensive, <laughs> so freaking expensive. Yeah, like I had like twenty thousand coin, and I didn't even like. I just went to the armor, and I'm just like, this is no big deal. Let's get this Grandmaster Ursan armor created. I got the chest plate done. I got the trousers done. I went to get the boots done. It's like, you don't have enough coin. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I only, 20,000 coin was only enough to get the chest plate and the pants. It wasn't <laughs> enough to get the gauntlets and the boots or the two swords. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> Especially because you can't, like, first of all, I don't know how, I have no idea how people make money in this game without mods. Yeah. Because you like the regular game has a weight limit to how much you can carry, and also so like I have like no idea. Also, the merchants only, can only purchase they a certain only have amount so of things. Much coin. Yeah, yeah, and they buy it at like at a markdown of like seventy percent, mm-hmm. sometimes greater. And I'm just like, how do you even generate enough money to <laughs> buy anything in this game without mods? And I have mods, and I'm still struggling with money. Yeah. I know there are people who are like, what are you talking about? I don't know what to do with all the money I have. What do I do with all this coin? And I'm like, where are you getting it from? How are you generating it? But I, but I, I, guess, I guess those item sets are specifically like end game content stuff, right? It is end game content. That is true. I have not finished the main story of Blood and Wine, which I should probably get to because I played The Witcher probably uh, three times this week. And none of those times was I playing main story stuff. But again, I think that just speaks to like how much there is to do in that piece of DLC. Yeah, it's massive. I mean, I did go back to um, Novigrad yep. for a little bit, and I just because I saw that I had uh, nine question marks on the map, and I'm like, let me hit these all up. <laughs> and so I, so I did, and then like, I ended up in area. It's that game is so crazy because I went. I I I'm not gonna 100% this game. I'm not gonna 100% complete it because that's absurd. But what I found fascinating was that there were still, still areas in Novigrad that I hadn't seen before. I'm like, where am I? And it was this dark woods and then like new quests were popping up because I'd never been in that area. I'm like, this game is never ending. 120 <laughs> hours in, it's never ending. Yeah. Amazing. So I've been playing, uh, or actually I played through a couple weekends ago, uh, Injustice Gods Among Us. Uh, the first or the second the, one? The first one. Um, so, this mm-hmm. is from uh, 2013. Uh, so, it's, yeah. so, this is a fighting game from NetherRealm Studios, who are probably most famous for this game and, like, the, the most recent Mortal Kombat games. Yeah. Um, and it's very much, like, you know, p- pitting heroes against heroes and, 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 and villains from, from the DC universe. So, Batman, Superman, the Joker, the Flash, Green, Green Lantern, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
and I heard really good things about it, you know, over the last few years. And I just never got around to, to, to picking it up. But I think in the last Steam sale, it was like $5 or something. So I was just like, okay, okay. Uh, I didn't know that. I would have picked that up if I had known. I'll check this game out. Um, and because uh, the, the praise that, that I, I, I heard about it was mostly just about the fact that, like, it has a great story. Um, and it even spun off a, a comic series that is still going out on to this day. Um, yeah, and, I've read some of it. Yeah. And, and so the sequel uh, j- just recently came out in Justice 2. Um, and, and again, it was, it's been pretty well received. Uh, unfortunately, it's not on the PC yet. Um, so hopefully that gets ported over in, in the next little bit. Um, so I, I guess a few things like the story is really interesting. Um, without spoiling too, too much, it's sort of an alternate world thing where, uh, you know, the, the Batman and, and Justice League that we know get pulled into an alternate universe where, um, th- th- this all happens in like the first, Two to two to five minutes, so so it's not a huge spoiler. But basically, in this new world, Joker tricks Superman, like poisons him or or, or something, and Superman mm-hmm. hallucinates and thinks that he's fighting Doomsday and like punches him into space to kill him or, or get rid of him. And it turns yeah. out to be Lois Lane. Yeah, and who's pregnant? Who's pregnant with his, with his baby? So he ends up killing Lois Lane and and his unborn child, um, and goes goes crazy. Right, kills the Joker, yeah. um, and basically becomes this totalitarian ruler of, of earth to try and protect it. Right. Um, to try and not let what happened, uh, in, in the past happen this time. Cause I think the Joker also like nukes, uh, Metropolis or some shit. Um, maybe, I don't know. Anyways, um, the, the story is interesting because, because again, you pull the justice league into this world and like now all of a sudden you have heroes fighting heroes and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of fun. You see, you see interesting takes on heroes that we kind of already know. Um, but in terms of the actual game, one thing I quickly realized, I fucking hate fighting games. <laughs> 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 and I'm really bad at them, too. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Um, but it, it was it was fun enough to sort of get through the game and, and see the story. I definitely set the difficulty down so that I could kind of breeze through a lot of the fights. And even if you don't, if you get your ass kicked, like, I want to say two or three times in a row, the game will actually allow you to skip the fight. And basically be like, oh, you're, you're just like a comic nerd who's here for the story. You can just like go on and, and see it. Um, but, but yeah, re- really, really interesting. That's rare for a Netherworlds game because I've played the Mortal Kombat game and uh, definitely hit a wall when I couldn't beat Shao Kahn. Right. Is that his name? Right. Something like that. Um, but yeah, so, so ugh, man, fighting games. I just, I, 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 I just, do you remember like when we were kids and you're like, like, I, I don't know what, what your experience with fighting games was like when you were younger, but I just remember like, you know, those early games playing like Street Fighter 2 and like the original like Mortal Tekken or like Virtual Fighter and shit like that. And just being like, Mortal yo, Kombat. I'm fucking really good at this game. Yeah. And, you know, being able to kick, yeah, kick the shit out of your friends in Mortal Kombat, like on your console at home. And, yeah. and then like you get older, you get to high school, you go to the arcade. And then all of a sudden there's these other kids that are just like totally whoop- whooping your ass. And you're like, I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> It's definitely the the older you get, the more difficult it is. I th- well, I shouldn't say that. I just think that we had lower standards when we were kids. Probably, yeah. We just had lower standards. We were playing on easy, or we're playing against other kids who didn't know what they were doing. There was a lot of button mashing. <laughs> and then when you get to like high school, there's a lot of people who like memorize the combos and are doing like seventy hit combos on you, which leaves you with like just a inch of your life yeah, before yeah. they just have to like sweep your legs and it's over. Yeah, people who probably like stuck with those that genre and really mastered them while we were off like playing our Grand Theft Autos or whatever. Yeah, I played 
quite a few fighting games. And I do enjoy it when I find a character that I like, and then you just spend a lot of time with that. In Mortal Kombat, for me, that character was Sub-Zero. Mm. In the newer Mortal Kombat, there's a... I don't remember his name. He's a dude who has... Kenshi? Kenshi. Kenshi in Mortal Kombat, great with him. In in uh, the Naruto fighting game, Itachi, you just find a character, you like their moveset, and then you just master that, and then it becomes fun. Mm-hmm. But before that, it's not. Yeah. So, so again, the interesting thing about Nether Realms and the last few fighting games that they've done is just that they have really focused on like the single player story aspect of it, and they've done that with Injustice, and they did it with Mortal Kombat as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the story in Injustice: Gods Among Us, pretty cool. Um, the one thing I will say is when you compare that game to the the sequel that they just released, holy shit, have they come a long way with like facial animation and the cutscenes that they've done? Because. Mm-hmm. That was the thing that kind of blew me away with Injustice 2. Uh, from, I think I remember hearing that they actually have uh, like their own custom facial capture studio in-house at NetherRealms. Um, and it, it just, just go and look at like some of the trailers or, or perhaps like some of the cutscenes from Injustice 2 on YouTube. Uh, they, they look stunning in terms, again, of, the, of that facial capture. Yeah. Um, and then you go back to Injustice Gods Among Us and you're just like, ooh, this is kind of rough. Um, so anyways... Kind of a neat story. I, I'm looking forward to checking out Injustice 2 as well. But again, I'll probably just set it to fucking easier and just blow through <laughs> it. Or who knows? Maybe I'll just find all the cutscenes on YouTube and watch that. <laughs> um, um, the game, fighting game I'm most excited about in the near future is the DBZ game. Oh, yes. That one looks... I just I love Dragon Ball. Yeah. I, I know we, we, we talked about that during our, our E3 episode, and I think that was yeah. probably like one of the things that surprised us the most. Yeah, visually, it just looks very enticing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's make some recommendations outside of games. Uh, do you have anything that you want to recommend to the folks at home? Uh, yes, I just finished season three of Fargo, and it has continued with its quality. It's still a good show. Yeah. I love Fargo way more than... I, I always compare it to True Detective because I watched True Detective and Fargo uh, in the same month, both mm-hmm. season ones, but they're not the same. No, diff- totally different. But uh, I, just, I love Fargo. It's probably, it's a great show. Just yeah, watch it. Yeah, nice. All three seasons and the movie if you want. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to checking out uh, season three. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think you necessarily have to watch the movie to, to get a lot out of the TV show. I think you you, no. you get more of the references and sort of like the style that they're going for. Um, yeah. If you do watch the movie first, but I don't think it's necessary. I watched the movie first, then I watched Fargo season. I watched it in order, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, There is a through, I won't say there's a through line, but they're all, season one, two, and three are loosely connected. Yes. Almost like Easter egg connected. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to watch them in order. You can watch them in whatever order you want, because right. season one uh, occurs in 2007-ish. Season two happens in like 1980. Season three is 2010. So, it's like, you don't have to watch them in order, but yeah. there is a... Loose, loose, very loose connection between all three seasons. Right. Uh, so I actually watched a, a movie last night, uh, which is rare for me. Uh, I checked out uh, Kong Skull Island. Oh. Which is sort of the latest, uh, I was about to say Donkey Kong reboot, but <laughs> <laughs> King Kong reboot. Yeah. Um, and it was okay. Um, it, it was fine. Um, so this is uh it's sort of this interesting take on the 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 kong story you basically have like uh researchers and scientists being accompanied by um soldiers who are about to ship home from vietnam because the the war has been officially declared over uh, but they go on like this one last um uh, escort mission 
And of course, everything goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it was okay. Popcorn sort of summer, summer fair. Uh, you know, it has Tom Hiddleston, Samuel L. Jackson, John Goodman, Brie Larson. Um, so, you know, a, a, a really healthy cast of characters. Five stars? Nah. I, I have like weird, th- weird thoughts about, about Kong Skull Island because like it, it has this very like, it has the same tone that like a lot of Michael Bay movies have. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's just yeah. like, it's like serious. Spectacle over substance. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. Spectacle over substance. And it was, it was more about the visual language of the movie than the plot or the, but I mean, you're talking about a King Kong movie. You're, you're not really talking yeah. about plot, right? Um, yeah. Or even like character development, but but it but it does a lot of the same things that Michael Bay movies do, where where they focus on the visual, they focus on the spectacle, and less on the characters. They, they, I mean, each character has their own little quirk and stuff, but they're not really fleshed out. It's just like, oh, this is the person who wants to get home to their kid, and this is the the reluctant hero. This is the the um, soldier who who is still looking for purpose, you know. And it it, it all feels very hollow. Mm-hmm. Another interesting facet, a little little tidbit, um, is that Tencent was involved with this fake, uh, with this movie. Oh my God, Tencent! Really? Tencent, yeah. So, so uh, I was actually looking at some of the fil- filmography that Tencent has has you know gotten involved with, um, and so they were also involved with the Warcraft movie as an investor. Um, so they they and and for Kong Skull Island, they were actually a producer, and I'm not entirely sure what their involvement was with Wonder Woman. Yeah, I think they were involved with the, the production as well uh, of Wonder Woman. Um, but I think mm-hmm. this also sort of speaks to the, I don't want to say the growing trend, but like like the business practice of making sure your film is marketable in China mm-hmm. and how Transformers is, is very blatant in how they do that, uh, especially with, with the last few movies. Uh, was it the, was it Age of Extinction or the one before? Yeah, Age of Extinction where like they had like the final climactic scene set in uh, a city in China. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was watching, like, because you see Tencent's name come up at the front at the, at the beginning of the movie, I was just like, "Oh shit, really?" And as you're watching that movie, you kind of—I think that might have just been in the back of my head—and I was like, "Yeah, you know what? You can kind of tell that, like, perhaps the way that this was written, and the way that dialogue is laid out, and the way that there's like lots of action and lots of spectacle, even in the quiet moments, it, it's like mostly visual." And I'm just like, "Yeah, this feels like a movie that is made for." an international audience, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but also um, I think it lacks substance because you're, you're trying to make sure that uh, an audience that perhaps doesn't understand that the nuance perhaps of the English language mm-hmm. can still get something out of it. Uh, that, that might be a little bit unfair, but um, I, I, I don't know. It, it just, it just, uh, it felt very Michael Bay-ish, even though he wasn't involved with the movie. It felt like a lot of people are taking from him and being like, his movies are successful everywhere, so let's do that with our movie. Um, that, that was kind of my takeaway. Still enjoyable. Yeah. Still, you know, make yourself some popcorn, have a drink. It'll, it'll be fine. Uh, criminally underused Brie Larson, you know, Academy Award winner Brie Larson. Um, you, know, she, you know, she won she won Best Actress for The Room, which is a totally fantastic movie but very very dark yeah um she she has come a long way since united states of terror where i first saw her playing a teenage girl who was sitting on cakes on her webcam for money (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but I'm actually looking forward to her take on Captain Marvel because uh, she's going to be Captain Marvel oh, in yeah. the Marvel Universe of films. Come, Speaking come, of Captain Marvel, have soon. you seen the trailer for Inhumans? That shit looks terrible. <laughs> oh, it looks so bad. It looks <laughs> so bad. <laughs> uh, anyways. I, what is it? The CW? No, not the CW. ABC. CB, something CBS, like that. Who knows? Something like that. If it's on a, like a main cable network, I yeah, have, that looks bad. don't really have a lot of interest. Bad. <laughs> um, anyways, I think that is going to do it for uh, this week's episode. Uh, hopefully, we will be back next week with some more news um, and talk more about the games that we're playing. Uh, just so you can fill us in on on some more Witcher Three. I I did download Arkham Knight. I've owned Arkham Knight for a very long time, but I I'm like let me, let me play this game. Oh my! Eventually. So it's downloaded, so I probably will play it in sometime this month. That's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to your thoughts on that because I had some not so nice things to say about it. But Really? Yeah, because I mean, it's been long enough since I've played an Arkham game that I don't think it will annoy me as much. Right, for sure. So we'll see. I'm excited to hear what you have to think about that, for sure. We'll, yeah. we, we actually might have to do like a spoiler cast when, when you finish yeah. it. I also was very close to downloading Dragon's Dogma, which I also owned for a while. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to be done The Witcher soon. I can feel it. And uh, I'm like, should I play Dragon's Dogma? Maybe. <laughs> Anyways, folks, so lots of stuff coming down the pipe. Yeah. Uh, we, we're kind of in a lull for big releases here in the summer, but uh, there is there is quite a bit of stuff coming out. So I'm sure there will be more news in, in the weeks to come. And uh, this is a good time to catch up on the stuff that is on your shelf. Uh, so maybe let us know some of the games that you're playing uh, during this, this summer quiet time. Uh, you can send those letters to shelfgames at gmail.com. Or you can always hit us up on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Shelve Games. I'm at John underscore tab. You can find the podcast at shelvegames.com slash podcast. And of course, we are on the Apple Podcasts and Google Play stores. And uh, yeah, find us on Facebook, YouTube. Just search for Shelve Games. Uh, and of course, we're on Twitch as well. Twitch.tv slash Shelve Games for all the live stuff that we're doing. Uh, music for the show is by Zed Ion, who you can find on SoundCloud. And I think that is going to be it. So thank you very much for uh, joining us today, folks. Uh, and feel free to share the show with your friends if you're enjoying it as much as uh, as you are, as, as we are in terms of putting this thing together for you. Um, and that's going to do it. So thanks again, Chisulo. No problem. And uh, we will catch you folks next week. So until then, go and grab a game off the shelf because you never catch know. Catch me outside. How about that? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you never know what you're going to find. See you later, folks. <laughs> I stepped over your outro. It's all good. That's funny. That's good shit. That's good podcast shit. (laughs) 